Good morning, everybody. Nice to see you all here this morning. It's nice to be back on the west side. Everybody doing well? Okay. All right. You could be doing better, but we'll take that as a good start. Happy Father's Day to all you fathers out there uh, this morning as well. We're in this series, This Is My Song, and you all participated in choosing the themes by giving us your favorite Christian song. Now, it might have been an old hymn, might have been a contemporary song, might have been something new, might have been something old, but out of that, we came up with these themes based on the songs. And a little bit later on in the service, we're going to sing Victory in Jesus, which is one of the songs out of which today's theme comes, and it's simply this, Victorious. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're going to go through Romans chapter 8 this morning because of all of the chapters in the Bible, nothing spells victory quite like Romans chapter 8. As a matter of fact, there was a survey done a few years ago of uh, favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, uh, this was of whole, all America. And Americans chose Romans chapter 8 in the top 10 all-time favorite passages of Scripture. And when you go through it, you understand exactly why. Now, our greatest victory lies in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Romans 8 uh, addresses that. Chapter 8, verse 11 says this, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who lives in you. In other words, if God can raise Jesus from the dead, He's going to raise us from the dead and give us everlasting life. Now, if that was the only verse in Romans chapter 8, it would still be one of the greatest chapters of the Bible. But there is so much more. This chapter is filled with triumph. Mrs. Mercy Crosby gave birth to a lovely little daughter, Frances Jean. By the way, the only child that she and her husband John would have. At six weeks of age, Frances Jane got an eye inflammation. They, being good parents, took her to the doctor. The doctor examined her gave her some medication. It was the wrong medication, and she permanently lost her eyesight. Add to that, within six months, her father unexpectedly died, and Frances Jane was raised by her godly mother and her godly grandmother. As she got a little bit older, Frances Jane decided she was going to try and help blind people. She was going to advocate for blindness. She became the first woman to ever address the U.S. Senate. She was so well respected by that that they invited her back to address the, uh, the joint session of Congress. She was praised by a former president, John Quincy Adams, and was invited to sing at the White House uh, during the time when J James K. Polk was president. All of this happened uh, during her lifetime, but that's not what we remember her for. We remember her not as Frances Jane, we remember her as Fanny Crosby, who wrote 8,000 hymns, many of which were written under pen names because, well, publishers got tired of publishing under the name of Fanny Crosby, and so she wrote under a lot of different names because she just had this insatiable desire to write these beautiful hymns for God. She also published a book of a 1,000 poems that were secular in nature. She was a prolific writer. She was asked if she harbored any resentment or ill will toward the doctor, and she said that she didn't. But then she said this, if I could meet him now, 
I would say thank you over and over again for making me blind. Now, I'm here to tell you, if I'd been blinded at, at, at six weeks of age, I'm afraid I'd have been resentful the rest of my life. I don't know that I could have said, I would thank him for making me blind. But you see, Fanny Crosby realized that it was her blindness that opened up her spiritual vision to see God for what he was and who he is and gave her this ability to write like, well, like hardly anybody else ever in history when it comes to Christian hymnology. I am amazed at her ability to take defeat and turn it into victory. Because here's the deal, folks. Victory is our choice. God has done everything possible within his power to give us victory in life, but it's still our choice. You can either choose what God has done for us, or you can choose to ignore what God has done for us. So if you're, if you're in a defeat mode in your life, you know what? That's your choice. doesn't mean there aren't tough times. It just means you've got to make the call. And so we're going to go through Romans chapter 8 real quickly this morning. I want you to see some things that God has done to give us victory. Here's the first one. We can be victorious despite our sin. Romans 8 opens with these words in verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. I love that phrase. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the, our English word condemned certainly carries with it the concept of guilt and an impending sentence. But the Greek word that Paul uses here, it only appears three times in the New Testament, is a much harsher word. It not only means convicted and condemned, that means immediate. Even if you're in prison, there's no commuting the sentence. There's no changing the outcome. You're as good as dead. That's what the word condemned in the Greek means. And Paul writes, he says, there is now no longer any condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus because he has set us free from the power of sin. That is good stuff. Not a single penalty left. Now, I don't like to talk about sin very often. Hits too close to home. Anybody else feel that way? All right, all right. A colleague of mine told me uh, that one of the elders in his church said, don't preach on sin. Only preach on grace. People will draw the right conclusion. If you preach on grace, they'll get it. No, they won't. We're, we are too good at rationalizing. You just talk about grace and people forget all about sin. It's kind of like if all you do is talk about heaven, you assume people will realize there's an alternative? No, they won't realize that. All they'll do is think about heaven. They won't think about the consequences. To understand our victory, you have to understand the power of sin. You have to understand its devastation. Tim Keller wrote this. He said, here's the gospel you're more sinful than you ever dared believe. You're more loved than you ever dared hope. You see what I mean? We're really good. We think we're not as bad as we are, but we're worse because the power of sin has a way of doing that. You know, there's a lot of areas of life where you just need to draw the line. You've seen some of the guys around here this morning with shirts on. Draw the line. You guys got those shirts on right now? 
Stand up if you've got one of those draw the line shirts on this morning. Okay, this is about our men's ministry uh, focus for this next year of being able to draw the line. Well, there's a lot of places and areas in life where you need to draw the line, but I'm here to tell you this morning that sin is the ultimate place where you draw the line. Your choice. And here's the problem. Sin is fun. You realize that? Sin is enjoyable, at least temporarily. If it wasn't enjoyable, we wouldn't be tempted to participate. If sin was equivalent to a root canal, who'd sin? I mean, come on. And, and the problem is that it looks good, it sounds good, it feels good up front, and then what happens? The guilt sets in. How many of you enjoy guilt? Let me see your hands. There are, a few, there are a few that enjoy a guilty feeling. Most of us don't because it just feels terrible. But just because something feels bad doesn't make it bad. On March 18, 1937, a spark ignited a cloud of natural gas that had accumulated in the basement of the new London, Texas elementary school and high school. The blast killed at least 293 People, most of them children in their classrooms. Now, the explosion had happened. Well, it was a horrible tragedy, one of the biggest tragedies in our country back in 1937. It happened because the school board was siphoning off natural gas from an oil company nearby, and there was no charge for the gas. It's just that since natural gas is odorless and colorless, nobody knew this cloud was building up and a spark ignited it, and the rest of it, well, is tragic history. Walter Cronkite, the famous newscaster, was actually, that was his first assignment to cover. And he, he quoted decades later about that moment in time. He said, I did nothing in my studies nor in my life to prepare me for a story of the magnitude of that new London tragedy, nor has any story since that awful day equaled it. Walter Cronkite covered wars and everything else in between, but that day just was registered in his mind as one of the worst. Do you know what our government did following that? <clears throat> they required oil companies to add an odorant to natural gas. And so when you leave on a gas appliance without it lighting, what do you smell? Oh, this noxious odor. Oh, is that awful or what? Well, it may save your life. Guilt is to the soul what that odorant is to natural gas. Your guilt may just save your soul because it reminds you that something is going on in your life that just isn't right. You may feel guilty, but that's a good feeling if it stops you from doing what God doesn't want you to do. It might just motivate you to victorious living. Okay, here's the second thing. We are victorious despite our suffering. Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul doesn't say our potential sufferings. He says our present sufferings. Everybody suffers. It is a broken world. I so appreciate Don's video that we saw earlier before the message He's had more than his fair share of suffering, but he's still living out our victory in Christ. He's made a decision. He will not let this suffering defeat him. He's going to claim his victory in Christ. 
In this chapter, Paul even talks about the fact that creation groans. You read in the eighth chapter, it groans like a woman in childbirth pains, waiting for the day that God's going to make everything right like it was at the time of creation. Now, folks, there's not a week that goes by but what I don't hear of suffering. Last week, I had two funerals for people in this church family. On the heels of last week's tragic shootings in Orlando came another tragic moment when a small boy was seized by an alligator at a Disney resort. I cannot imagine the suffering of those parents. You may remember back in 2008, the youngest daughter of songwriter Stephen Curtis Chapman died tragically. The well-known musician, his family struggled to deal with the death of five-year-old Maria. And in the midst of their pain, a pastor friend who had also lost a child in an automobile accident consoled them with these words. He said, remember, your future with your daughter will be far greater than your past with her. In our suffering, you've got to focus on the victory, not on the suffering. You've got to look ahead to what God has in store, not at the past of what has been. That's our victory. You have to choose between your suffering or your victory. If you choose suffering to be your focus, you'll be overwhelmed by it. If you choose our victory in Christ, you'll overcome the suffering. So choose carefully. The Alaska-Canada Highway was built during World War II to connect Alaska to the contiguous, you know, 48 states here. Uh, and, and the early days, it was mostly mud and, and gravel. Now, by the 1960s, they'd finally got it paved. But if you were going to travel the uh, Alaska Highway, you would reach the edge of it. And I am told there was a sign that said this, choose your rut carefully. You'll be in it for the next 200 miles. Can I remind you, the decisions you make today will impact the rest of your life here. So choose your rut carefully. You're going to be in it for a while. Maybe the rest of your life. Make your decisions based on the victory that we have in Christ, not on the suffering that we're going through. And you say, well, I don't even know how to pray when I'm going through suffering. Ha! God's got that one covered in Romans 8 too. In verse 26, it says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. You understand what he's saying? When you don't know how to pray because you're hurting so bad, the Spirit knows how to pray for you. It just doesn't get better than that. God has made every possible conceivable way for you to be victorious in life. Here's the last thing. We are victorious despite our circumstances. Most people, I think, would choose verse 28 as their favorite Roman. This is my favorite. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. I don't know how many times in life I have claimed that passage in tough, trying moments. That doesn't mean everything that happens is going to be good. It doesn't even mean that God's going to take the things that happen and make them good. It simply means that out of every circumstance of your life, God can bring a measure of good. I believe it. I've said it often. God never wastes an experience in our lives. Our ultimate victory has already been determined if we will choose to live in that victory, if we will do our best. 
Bobby Unser, three-time winner at the Indianapolis 500. His brother Al won four times. Bobby said, nobody remembers the guy who finished second except the guy who finished second. That's pretty true. You got to give it your best. You got to live full out. You got to draw the line at sin, but you don't draw the line at victory or energy. Give it everything you've got. Now, I'm always amazed when I watch a basketball game how coaches call timeouts. You know, no two games are, are the same, uh, they, it just doesn't matter. You get toward the end of the game, and they oftentimes save up their timeouts because there are different things going on. They may want to ice a free throw shooter. They may want to stop the game so they can tell the team about the change in defense or offense on the other side. They may want to make a key substitution at an important point in the game. But the reason that a coach calls timeouts when he does is to help the team achieve a victory. Now, what about the timeouts in your life? When, when things seem to be going along really well and then something happens, it's like a timeout in your plan of life. Do you not realize that God is working as hard and as diligently in the timeouts of your life as in when everything else seems to be normal? And don't you know that God uses those timeouts to help you achieve great victory? Romans 8, 31 and 32 reminds us of, of, of that. We're going to read that in just a second, but I want you to hear what Rabbi Zacharias said. He says, faith is confidence in the person of Jesus Christ and in his power, so that even when his power does not serve my end, my confidence in him remains because of who he is. And that confidence comes from what we find in verses 31 and 32. What shall we say then in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? In other words, if God gave up his son for us, he isn't going to abandon us in the tough circumstances of life. And then he goes on with this marvelous, triumphant promise. Would you read this out loud with me? I think these words are going to be on the screen up here, all right? Let's read them out loud together. Ready? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Isn't that a fabulous passage? You talk about victory, that's victory. Nothing is going to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let me tell you about our victory. you got the choice. But being hopeful in that victory makes all the difference in the world. Uh, John Ortberg, in his book, If You Want to Walk on Water, You've Got to Get Out of the Boat, cites a medical study where 122 men suffered serious heart attacks, their first heart attack. And then they did research on those who viewed the, the future pessimistically and those who viewed the future optimistically. Are you ready for this? Of the 25 most pessimistic guys who had suffered heart attacks, fathers, listen up to this. The top 25 most pessimistic, 
21 of them had died by um, eight years later. 25, 21 died most, by eight years later. Of the 25 most optimistic men following the heart attack, eight years later, only six had died. 21, six. The loss of hope increased the odds of death by more than 300%. It predicted death more accurately than any medical risk factor, including blood pressure, amount of damage to the heart, or your cholesterol level. To which John Ortberg adds this thought. He said, it is better to eat Twinkies in hope than to eat broccoli in despair. (laughs) Do I hear an amen? You see, hope is a healer. This victory that we have in Christ brings this hope that brings this healing. You will survive this life much better with our hope in victory. I've done, I don't know how many, a few hundred funerals through the years. I haven't counted them up. I did two more last week. I've got more to go. I know that. But I'm going to tell you this morning, if the only thing I had to convince me of the victory that we have in Christ was the funerals that I've attended and the funerals I've conducted, it'd be enough even if I didn't have Romans 8, even if I didn't have the New Testament, if all I had was the funerals, it would convince me. Because there is a huge difference between a believer's and a non-believer's service. There's a huge difference between hopeful tears and hopeless tears. One spells victory. The other, defeat. Can I tell you this morning, That God has done everything in his power to give us a victorious life. It's your choice whether or not you'll live the victory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you this morning that we have this victory in Jesus Christ. And that you have promised that there is now no more or no longer any condemnation. That you have made us more than conquerors. That you have promised to take even the most difficult of circumstances, and out of it bring good, and that there is nothing that shall separate us from the love of Christ. Lord, we are grateful this morning for that victory. Now, Lord, give us the courage to live in that hopeful victory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.